Welcome to Drink 4 dot dot dot, a podcast that combines a lifelong film infatuation with an overarching love of drink, an interactive journey that encourages the incorrigible while providing an intoxicating alternative to a night out. Think Netflix and chill without chill, perhaps without the Netflix, and definitely without the sex. Who knows, maybe we'll learn something along the way, or at the very least, have a bit of immature fun. And welcome, guys. I am live on the phone to London right now. I have DJ Shabby Chic, a.k.a. Zoe Anderson, to my left. I have on the phone with me brand new film director, Andrew A.P. Clark. Good evening. I have the newly appointed Dr. George Crossweight to some other direction that doesn't exist in my periphery. Uh, pleasure to join you. And uh, we'll, we'll start with Zoe. Zoe, would you like to plug anything for, for the, uh, the listeners that are all currently engaged in recording this podcast? I have things to plug. So I do a radio show on the Roundhouse's radio station in London, Transmission FM, with three other lovely boys. And it's called T1 Presents. It's a hip hop and music show. And we chat a lot. It's just some good, easy listening, and we're all friends, so nice vibe. And you can find us at t.1.collective without the final E on all the things, but mainly Instagram. And I'm also the co-owner and senior editor of gigsuitmusic.com, which is a music magazine online. You can find that at www.gigsuitmusic.com. Boom. There you go. George Crossway, do you have anything that... I'm sorry, Dr. Crossway, do you have anything that you would like to, uh, to plug for us? Um, can I plug my hangover? Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. It's pretty bad. Um, it's I, I'm calling it the hour of the wolf. Uh, <laughs> it's a kind of well, I got I'm really hungover, but I also drunk too much coffee today. Oh, really and nervous, and I have this feeling, even though I'm very comfortable in uh, AP Clark's room. Uh, I feel like I'm about to be run over any second, and I have to keep checking that I haven't lost my keys. And it's also, I don't know, I, I feel quite emotional as well. Like I watched oh, well. the, the last episode of Stranger Things season three earlier today, and I like uh, started crying. Um, oh, so, George, that's a know, shame, buddy. I feel really like what I should be watching right now is something like um, Moana or Ponyo. <laughs> Something really nice and cuddly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But I'm hoping if I know Andrew and I know what he looks for in horror films and if he's made a horror film, I think he likes horror films to be ultimately quite comforting and quite cuddly and quite nice. Is that is that gonna is that gonna be hope gonna be fulfilled? Uh, no. That no. Okay. Yes. It is um yeah, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> Close enough. I mean, it we Fantastic. it is good that that we've made a a habit out of you being extremely hungover when you appear on this podcast. But it is my hope, like it was with Rumble in the Bronx, that you'll leave having had a very good experience and uh, drunk instead of uh, cripplingly hungover. There's nothing more restorative than doing a good bit of podcasting, and that's the doctor's opinion. Oh, there you go. I mean, we're now USDA approved. And last, certainly not least, the guest of honor at this podcast, AP Clark. Andrew, would you like to plug anything, including maybe give a give them a sneak peek of what we're going to get into today? So I am the creator of the Lost Cat podcast, which you can find on the internet by looking for the Lost Cat podcast. 
which is me doing um, horror stories about me having lost my cat that are the scary lots of monsters and ghosts, but in a strange way, they're very, very comforting. I can see your They cat. are. I can see they're that too. Oh yeah, I have a, I have a, a, a little goth cat sitting on top of the speaker that you are talking out of right now, Zoe. And oh, well, that's fun. It makes me feel very comfortable. Um, I'm a big fan of this podcast. I would recommend it very highly. It's it's really good. You should listen to it before bed. It's really soothing. Yeah, I get the feeling that a lot of people, and this is in no way a, uh, I take this as a huge compliment. I'm totally happy with this, but I get the feeling that a lot of people listen to it to go to sleep to. I do. It's like, wonderful to do that. I've never finished an episode. Yeah, like, like you know, um, you, you know, what's the stories about? It doesn't matter. It's just I fall asleep just... during the song. <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it is. It's helped me understand why ASMR is so popular. I completely disagree. It freaks me out so much. I know it's sort of supposed to. It I wouldn't is. be able to sleep after listening to it. Um, I really, really wanted to make a horror podcast. It um, is that. <laughs> But everyone goes, oh, I feel so happy after listening to it. And it's because they're not paying attention like you are, Zoe. Uh, um, they're well, just listening to this uh, um, um, deep male voice go, yes. And then the monster stuck its tentacles down its throat and ripped uh, his soul out. <laughs> and everyone goes, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> well, it is lovely. It's what I it's what I it's what I wake up for, you know, is to be horrified. By the things that my friends are saying in very dulcet tones, and um, very gently. There's nothing. There's nothing better than that in the world. <laughs> than than listening to people have horrifying times while I'm snuggled up warm in bed. No. After a large glass of wine. Large glass of wine. <laughs> large. Yes, that large glass of wine. A large glass of wine. Um, that sounded like a montage sequence. <laughs> that was. That was a lot of wine getting drunk. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there's that. You can go and find that on the Lost Cat podcast. Uh, as always, I ask you to listen to two or three episodes of the podcast before you give your final judgment. Um, I, lots and lots of people really like the first episode, but it is very much well a pilot episode. It was me figuring things out. Um, but episode two, three, four, five, six, they just, I regard them as as good as anything I've done. So yeah, dig in. And if you like it, um, listen to it more. That would be great. Uh, what else am I? Uh, I'm also now officially a regular uh, contributor to the Drink Four podcast. Oh, I like yeah. that. A plug within a plug, plugception. Uh, yeah. It's like when you go abroad and you have to use an adapter plug, but then the adapter plug's a bit wrong. So sometimes, like I found this in northern Italy, that they've got two different types of plugs. Sometimes you have to get an adapter plug within Italy. Stick your kind of adapter plug that will make the UK plug work, and then you've got three plugs. <laughs> and imagine if you were using that to power the audio to record this podcast, and then you plug the podcast, that would be four plugs. Yes. There you yep. go, and, and you've just plugged your uh, ability to take trips in northern Italy, so <laughs> there's that as well. So, you know. And, and his... And his um, uh, was yeah. a writing retreat. <laughs> yeah, oh, I bet. <laughs> Uh, and what else? Um, let's say let, yeah, I'm I, 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 a musician as well, and uh, many other things besides. But what I am newly minted is a horror film director. Woo! Claps, little claps. Claps indeed. Yeah, we need a soundboard, but uh, round of without applause. that, yeah, we'll just um, say so round of applause. Uh, me and uh, f 
four or five other uh, people got together and we made a horror film. And um, it is called Apocalypse of the Blood Freak for reasons that have uh, never become clear. And um, amazingly enough, that is what this episode of Drink For dot 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 is going to be about. We're going to drink um, for Apocalypse of the Blood Freak. Worldwide exclusive. Exclusive. Here on Drink For, I dare you other shitty podcasts to get worldwide exclusives on brand new horror films that have yet to even come out. And then um, make rules for that to an audience who can't see that film and just hold <laughs> it over their heads like this nefarious trip to northern Italy where we need plugs and plugs and plugs. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be doing a public premiere in London on Tuesday, the 3rd of Sept uh, September in the yeah. Genesis Cinema, which is um, where we um, stole lots of the footage. <clears throat> um and then, and then maybe we, we, we'll try and get it to some festivals, and then we'll um, see if we can make any money from it at all. Otherwise, we'll bung it on YouTube, uh, and then everyone can watch it. And it'll become a cult classic. Do you want the story behind the making of the film? You know, I want. You know, I want it. Or do we want it later, though? Well, I no, I, I want, want it. it I want it soberly now. Okay. And then we can talk about how we feel about the film. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. When we're drunk, it's all about the emotions. Okay. Yes. So basically, last Halloween, uh, myself and Jordan and George um, were doing an all-day uh, Halloween horror marathon. And the first film, uh, which was actually before George turned up, um, but it was, so it was just me and Jordan. And Jordan was really excited because he wanted to watch a film called Blood Freak. Uh, and we watched uh, the film called Blood Freak. And it's a fairly obscure 1973 Floridian horror movie. Very roughly what happens is that a man eats a bad turkey, turns into a turkey monster and eats people. What? <laughs> um, yeah. It's the best yeah, film that anyone's ever made. Um, and then, and then uh, he finds God or something. It's, it's, yeah, there's, 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 there's depth to it. Um, and I was it's watching a conversion it. film. Yeah. Uh. It's a straight edge conversion film. Um, don't eat turkeys. I, yeah. Anyway, I was watching it and having a great time um, and getting very, very drunk because it was basically, yeah, I can't even remember what the drink for was, but, but we drank a lot during it. It's a bad movie. I am extremely fond of that movie, but it's, a re it's not a good movie. I was sitting there going like, you know, this is a terrible movie, uh, but 45, 47 years later, I'm watching it. There's obviously no lower barrier for quality. They, they went and made a movie and people are watching it two generations later. Um, you know, this is a terrible movie. I could make a movie this terrible. I should be making a movie this terrible. I will make a movie this <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and that was, that was the start of it. Basically, uh, I decided... To, and like the second film we watched on that day was Troll 2. So I decided mm -hmm. to make um, a sequel to Blood Freak that had nothing to do with the original. And I also, you know, realized that when you have all of these um, low budget horror movies, they have very little to offer. So they have to have a really big uh, title. So I decided to call it Apocalypse of the Blood Freak. And so we decided to make Apocalypse of the Blood Freak. Um, for no money, for with no time. And so I came up with a manifesto for how to do this. 
the first part was to basically just watch, you know, watch loads and loads of movies and find all of the zero budget hacks that these films do. You, you know, you watch the films of um, uh, House on Haunted Hill by Castle. Yeah, of, of ways in which they stretch footage to go a really long way or they make bad footage look much better. Just ways to hack out a film using as little as humanly possible, as little time, as little money, and as little talent as possible. And basically, you know, I made a big long list of all these things. And instead of like coming up with a story and then finding out a way to do it that fit your budget, it was like, here's the ways of doing things for no money. We'll make a story out of these things. It was, you know, it was like Dogma 95, but instead of trying to make you honest, it was, it was trying to make you William Castle. You know, and then there was then there was some um, uh, tediously so, um, socialist stuff, which is basically I had to get I had to get friends involved. We, we, we knew we were going to do it for no money. I had to, you know, how do you motivate people to do things? Don't be a little Hitler and tell people what to do. You have to let people do what they really want to do. And if you can have everyone going in roughly the same direction, then you'll make a film. You'll make a big, you know, like a, a full feature length film rather than struggle to make a 10 minute short, which meant so, so everyone had to actually have control and power over every step of the production. So what I did was um, uh, middle of January, I set up a writer's day and whoever turned up for the writer's day were the writers and whatever ideas they came up with were the movie. Um, and pretty much all of the ideas that we came up with on that day, they are the movie that, that we are about to watch. And then we made sure that the, the 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 cast sort of like you know split up a third of the way through the movie and have their own adventures, which means that you know uh, uh, basically you can give each of those sequences to four different directors and just you know have them go off and do it whenever they want to. Gives them freedom. Um, and the point is that you know maybe I was the sort of the executive producer who made the project happen, but I had no control over what they did at all. Which, as long as you trust that these people are actually going to come through and actually do their thing and actually make something, then, you know, the, the impossible is possible. You can make a feature length movie really, really quickly for almost no money. And we basically delivered the final cut um, exactly five months later. And the physical production budget was 200 pounds. Oh my God, um, what? Sorry. <laughs> no, oh, seriously. And that, and that includes food and transport. What? That's so awesome. 200 pounds. Yeah. I mean, you know, there will be invisible, like, we pulled in favors. Yeah, you know, of like, course. Like, lots of the sets are basically where I live. You know, <laughs> and I live, you know I, I've got an underground car park, so there's a scene set in an underground car park. Um, we, all, we all met, um, all of the people involved in the project basically met when we were working at Genesis Cinema in... Um, Voted Time Out's number one independent cinema. Uh, we all met there. We, we all worked there. Um, so we were able to perhaps maybe uh, shoot in Genesis Cinema, just sort of like sneak in around the back uh, and shoot a bit of, uh, shoot some stuff in there as well. Um, so there's, you know, th th there was a certain amount of being able to get sets or, or being able to get equipment. Like I borrowed a couple of lights off of um, uh, Ian, who uh, we have all worked with in a different cinema. So it was like bringing in favors. It's basically like living within the film world for enough time. You start knowing people and you just, as long as you're nice to people, they'll do favors for you. 
and they let us, and like Ian let me borrow his lights and we use those lights. And that's kind of how you make a movie for almost nothing. I mean, there's there's other things like, you know, the, the, the art direction is just, you turn the lights off. Uh, <laughs> And, and suddenly the art direction is really easy and really cheap. Uh, so you will find that a lot of the scenes are basically the room is completely dark and it's lit, you know, by, by a phone. And so, the, I mean, the one serious thing um, I would say, like, you know, it was obviously just to have a bunch of fun and make some uh, memories and hopefully a cool movie with friends. But there was a vaguely serious thing there, which is that I see a lot of uh, people I know uh, creative people, but they're often struggling to make stuff. Um, and it's usually because, like, uh, they think, you know, is, is, is this idea good enough? Is it important enough? Or if I'm going to make a feature film, that's a really big commitment. And like, like, it's not going to be as good as the stuff I see on screens. Oh, you know, it's like, I should start small or like, oh, it's, I'm not ready yet. All of these sorts of things. And it stops people making things. It's true. And, and that internal voice seems to be the quality assurance voice. Um, but I kind of think it's the sort of the inner, the inner critic, the inner, the, the ruthless, horrible, nasty, self-destructive voice. Um, it's probably both. You know, that voice probably does stop you doing lots of stupid things. But, but too often it stops you doing anything at all. So if you create a process that just undermines that voice and removes that voice from the process entirely... Uh, then you can just get on with making things. It's not that you're trying to make anything bad. You're not trying to do like a Sharknado ironic bad film. You're trying to make a film. It's just you don't really care if it's good or bad. You're just too busy making it. And that was yeah, why we yeah. had the that was why we had like the writer's day where I did not have authorial uh, control over this movie. I did not come up with the ideas. I, I was not the one who directed all of the different sequences, all of that sort of thing. No one had um, uh, final control. It was all of us together doing stuff. Uh, and in that way, you get around the neuroses uh, and just get on with making a film. And I think, in my experience, you find, it turns out like all of the sort of uh, artistic intent or attempting to say things or expressing your personality, it just comes out accidentally anyway. Without you, you know, if you're just on set running around like a headless chicken making a thousand. Uh, decisions every hour who you are and what you want will actually kind of come out uh, over the averaging of all those decisions that was what i discovered anyway so there you go that is roughly the story behind um why and how this film was made yeah perfect i mean that's a that's an incredible an incredible story to say the least and something that of course goes to the, the core of my beliefs on film and really life is the nicer you are, the easier things continue to be. Because as you said, you had all these friends and all these favors to pull and you were able to, to get all this stuff accomplished because you were nice. And understanding that it doesn't matter if it's if it turns out quote unquote good or quote unquote bad, you did something. And there's so much more to say about enjoying the artistic process and reveling in the artistic process and with good friends that's all that you know that's all that really matters yeah and so on the sort of making things where not caring if they're good or bad is that you know extraordinary stuff is possible if you just throw yourself in the deep end um it's what i did with the lost cat podcast which was just um i gave myself a release schedule of one every two weeks 
And so, you know, I had to come up with the story and write it and record it and score it and everything. I had two weeks, whatever I came up with on that Saturday when I had to write the story, that's what I went with. You just throw yourself in the deep end and then you have to learn to swim. And exactly the same way with, with this movie, um, when perhaps any of the listeners maybe watch it, you know, uh, they can make their own decisions. Um, but it's, you're actually capable of um, doing fairly extraordinary things if you just, if you just throw yourself into it. Uh, it there's, there's all sorts of technical problems with the movie, but um, I do think it's a lot more watchable than a lot of horror movies that I've, I've sat through in cinemas. Yeah, you can do a lot if you just care. And on the, on the kindness thing, uh, it does sound a bit sappy, but it, it's a very pragmatic advice of just you put yourself in in the scene within a group of people doing stuff. Uh, and if you say you're going to help them out with something, you, you turn up on the day. I've turned up on lots of people's sets and um, just helped them out. Uh, yeah. And if you and if you say you're going to turn up, you, you, you turn up and you help them out and suddenly, you know, uh, a core group of people will then help you out as well. And then through a few iterations of that, you find the people who are basically really, really interested in doing things. And there will be a really, a really amazing group of people to know. The sorts of people who care and then will look after you and they will help you out and you want to help them out. And that sounds like a really great group of people to me. Well, you heard it yeah. here first. Maybe not if first, but most recently, be nice to people, period. Because then, you know, they'll be nice to you back. It's true. Well, uh, along those lines of being nice to me back, now that I have agreed to watch this incredible film that I know is going to be better than Blood Freak. What? I have a lot of fondness for the original Blood Freak. Well, it's really, I mean, it is an incredible artifact of something. What that something is, is up for history to decide yeah i mean it's it's definitely the case that like having been through the process of making a zero budget movie uh perhaps a not perfect movie um when you see people on screen trying giving it giving it an old college try is like i i, I massively fall in love with them immediately and i don't really care what the film's like you yeah you have to admit that everyone on that set seemed like they were really really giving it a go and they were really they, they thought that it might be their breakthrough moment when it's so clearly <laughs> absolutely is not. No, it wasn't. But, you know, this is definitely going to be your breakthrough moment. Mm-hmm. Especially when we come back even more sappy and sentimental. I know, it's already started at a 10, hasn't it? And utterly, <laughs> uh, yeah, utterly shit-faced. You know, that's usually what, what tells so many listeners the difference between the the first part of this podcast and the second part is just when i get very sappy i go from being cold and whispery to being very warm and whispery cold and whispery that is yeah you know like london cold and whispery (laughs) um so yeah what can i drink for dot 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 during this apocalypse of the blood freak okay uh you can help me on this jordan Mm mm-hmm um, but oh, you got to you got to drink for eyes. Absolutely, that's very important. You got to drink for people saying, "Guys, uh, we do that a lot." It was <laughs> a lot of the dialogue. A lot of the dialogue was sort of improvised, and um, guys, that happened a lot. Um, 
She's drink from me. Oh yeah. yeah. Should we finish um, our drinks for you, or are you in it too much? Um, just I, th I think of. He's in it too much okay. to finish your drinks for him. Okay. Yeah, you, yeah, you can't make it rain. It's a, a bit oh. too. Um, drink for I don't know narrator. Okay. Yeah, a drink for stairwells. <laughs> that's that's harsh. Oh yeah, there's there's yeah, drink for stairs. Every time you see stairs, take a drink. Um, because they yeah they turn up. Uh, drink when you can tell we're using a different camera. Because <laughs> that, that. Oh okay. That's that gets, a really good one. Yeah, that gets complicated. It's like a Lebetsky, Terence Malick film. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Because Terence Malick basically went round all his mates and said, "Have you got a camera, can borrow?" <laughs> um, and we got one. We got. Um, I, I got one good camera, and it was too complicated. I didn't know how to use it, and um, so there is one shot in this movie using this camera. And you can tell which one it is because it's out of focus. Drink for out of focus. Okay. That's um, easy. Drink, drink for drinking, drink for blood, drink for death. There's a lot of death. There's only like four characters, but there's at least 15 deaths. So yeah, the, the, the just straight drinking for death is, it, I think it's got a pretty good uh, kill count considering the cast is really small. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw in one for any londoners listening drink every time you think to yourself where the fuck did this guy find this place in london yeah <laughs> which might be for an entire scene towards the end where oh man you 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 went to this apartment place i i don't know how you have access to this place uh it scares me that you do have access to this place and i'm gonna drink the whole time there so i forget about it and that that's, i that's, no that's a um this is that was that was my Scorsese moment. Uh, it's it's a three and a half minute uh, shot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a long take. It's, it's what it's, it's a one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I'm just gonna put. I'm I'm gonna get into uh, into George's hangover in the middle of this film. I'm gonna join him there. The hour of the war. <laughs> you can probably drink every time the character of Alex talks because they don't talk very much. That was, in fact, that was like EJ is the um, the person who uh, essayed that character, and they said, "Yeah, I'm not going to say anything." That that was their acting choice. Okay, it's still uh, a that's choice. really good. It was like, yeah, uh, I think that um, they are they're hilarious and everything they say is brilliant, but it's just like just just one little liner every ten minutes. You can probably drink for um, titles as well. That'll, that'll, oh that'll, yeah, that'll, that'll get you going really well at the beginning. Oh yeah, that's gonna make people messy. So yeah, maybe start this with a <laughs> with a light lager and move to something a little bit heavier until we get to that one location where we need to drink for three and a half minutes. Yeah, but you know, maybe switch to some sort of Gatorade or. Well, we're currently drinking um, uh, Volare lychee liqueur, uh, which is only twenty mm. percent by volume. Practically, you know, fruit juice. Frankly, exactly, um, which is you know how we get very hungover is drinking fruit juice. Yeah. Yes. Right, uh, right south of twenty percent. Uh, we're drinking lychee drink because our special effects budget was ten pounds, and we mostly spent it on lychees uh, because <laughs> they look eyeballs. Like, because they look like eyeballs. Perfect. So there you go. I'm drinking a lychee, and I'm not going to regret it. That's, that's loads of drinking. Yeah, that's a good, that's yeah, a good I think range that's, I think that you basically have us drinking for the 90 minutes here. <laughs> uh, which is good. Which is really good because it is uh, 3 p.m. where we are. Oh, so, oh it's um, really early. 
Yeah, and you know, we we have a lot of friends in town this weekend. We have we have some celebrating to do over here. And uh, yeah, this is going to kick off a night that I won't remember, (laughs) which is fine because Shabby Chic always leads me in the right direction. Aww. And she's uh, she's she's got better eyes than me. Uh, Well, yeah. So that's good. But yeah, on those uh, shocking and celebratory and drunken notes, off we go into the darkness, down a blackened set of stairs, and into the basement of what horror can be. Are we ready for the apocalypse? This week's episode of Drink 4 Dot 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 is brought to you by Bang Bang Shoot'em Pow 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 Wartime Fun, a turn-based multiplayer international tank game chock full of in-game purchases and hidden gem-like easter eggs available on the App Store and Google Play Store now. Earlier this week, Bang Bang Shoot'em Pow 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 Wartime Fun gave me a few free monster tanks. I've got to say that I've been hammering it with Bang Bang Shoot'em Pow 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 Wartime Fun. Download it now and enter the code Drinky Drinky for a mid-level bronze war chest worth $5 in Bang Bang Shoot'em Pow 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 Wartime Fun Bucks or $25 real-world dollars. Now let's get back to this boozy boozy action. Welcome back and go fuck yourself. Jeez. Yeah, you meant to be no, nice. he's a nasty drunk. You get real mean, Jordan Brooks. I don't like new single Jordan. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, buddy. What I learned today is that Cassavetes is less than Castle, and that's, and that's all that matters. There's no point being nice to people when exactly Cassavetes is worse than Castle. Not didn't in this we, world. Didn't we spend the first half saying how important nice? To- <sighs> Well, see, you can't you can't ever listen to yourself when you're sober. One and two. <gasps> this man made a genius film with 200 pounds. I know it's true. And a band of people that he just picked together from a homeless shelter. I think. Oh yeah, sure. Hey, come on. Amazing. <laughs> no, Oof, I mean no. Shade. I mean no, no. They're they're all one. Not homeless. Well, um, they might be. You don't know. <laughs> no, they. I. I I don't. I assume they're not homeless. If they are still homeless, Andrew, shame on you because of that recording location that you're keeping empty for uh, uh, boxes and soundproof styrofoam. This, this movie got to you. Remember, remember, like, um, yeah, literally the last thing we said before we started the movie, which in the time scale of this uh, podcast is like thirty seconds ago, it was about yeah, being right. Blind. And then we watch the movie, and this is what's left. This is what's left of us. I, 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 I feel that my movie kills Jordan. I'm really sorry, Zoe. That's okay. I'll, uh, we'll build him back up. Eventually, the 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 gin will sort of wear off. It's it, Campari makes me very fiery. We'll we'll see if we can bring him back to the love by the end of the podcast. Um, how do you want to kick off the second half? I want to talk about. I think generally, more than anything, about how good it is, given the manifesto you wrote at the beginning of your filmmaking process, because you let everyone sort of go willy-nilly into making film, and it came out stunning. You know, I'd probably say that even if it wasn't, so you're going to have to take my word for it, that Mm. it is 
Well, it wasn't actually stunning. Oh, stunning. I was I was prepared to lie and say that I thought it was really good, but I was really impressed. Although I'm interested because from what you were telling me during the film and the credits, you could say this is an anthology film and it's a kind of framing narrative. But I wouldn't have got that if I just sat and watched it alone. I yeah. think it felt very cohesive, and I'm you know I'm actually quite surprised that you know say that you know there's different bits shot and written by completely different crews essentially um yes i mean yeah it, it, it oh god how how to say these things without coming over as arrogant i think probably most of us most of us watching listening now uh will be veterans of a lot of um horror movies they will have watched many horror movies and it, and just actually making one or making a portmanteau movie a, a, a what movie uh Anthology? Anthology movie. And, and how lazy most of them are, yeah. basically. Um, or, or how um, hacky they are. I mean, you could say that anthology movies are deliberately, they're not linked by that much because you're meant to be getting, you're actually, a strength of it is that you're getting several different stories. But they always still have framing narratives and the framing narratives is usually like someone reading a book or, or someone looks in a mirror and then in the end, like, they all die. Did, did they not spend more than 30 seconds thinking about this? And the answer is probably no, they didn't. Or like most horror movies is just, I don't know, may, maybe if they had any artistic ambition, they wouldn't be making a horror movie. And it's just, we've got to, we will go to a cabin and we'll do some kills and some running around and then we'll sell it cheaply and then we can move on to making the next film. There's like the hucksterism is the, the, the process of it. Whereas, you know, the hucksterism, the attempt to earn a quick buck was not in this because, I don't know, we're all socialists or something. Some sort of terrible character flaw means that we weren't thinking about making a profit at the time. But like, yeah, no, yeah, literally. Um, I mean, I did. I, when when we did the, um, the 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 writers' day, I sat everyone down and I spoke for about half an hour of, of like, you know, roughly what, basically, what I said at the, the beginning of this podcast of like how we were going to do it for no money and his. We'll do it back to front. We won't come up with a story. We'll come up with the techniques that we can do, and then we'll just find a story that fits around it. And, and obviously that was enough to get everyone pointed in the same direction. And if, and if you've got people pointed in the same direction, they're going to go off on their own steam, but they'll make something that fits in with the overall piece. And, you know, me having watched it and edited it, I know how messy it actually is. Uh, and I know all the hacky tricks to make it seem like it is more coherent than it is which just makes me amazed that other people don't do it. I suppose, uh, you know, if the cohesion probably comes with the genre that you're working in as well, because if horror is a reflection of fears of the times or timeless fears, then, I mean, you have a similar age group of actors and, yeah. you know, they're all going to be dealing with similar things that make them deeply afraid or, you yeah. know, so it kind of makes sense that there would be a cohesion to me. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and we do know each other very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we will have done projects with each other. So there'll be a um, an overlap of interests or senses of humor yeah. or that sort of thing. So I was, you know, if I was the main director or the main producer, it was director or producer in a sort of more European or more old-fashioned pre-auteur definition of the word, which is just like the focus around which everything happens. So I would um, take all of the writing ideas and sort of um, vaguely order them into a script. So the ideas were coming through me and I was making sure they were focused in the same direction. Uh, but that's what the director did. It didn't actually 
he didn't tell everyone what to do and he didn't force everyone to, to his will. He's just the person, like the, the, the center of a spider web or the, 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 the linchpin of an arch in a bridge. You need something that holds everything together, but they're not, you know, it's not the cent- It's not the, the, the top of the pyramid. It's just mm. the center of the web, as it were. It's a more, uh, the, the, the hierarchy is not vertical. We live in this post-Roland Barthes, definitely, or Jurek. <laughs> Well, well my... you were a mere conduit, a filter for the muse, the god of inspiration. And once it had passed through you, you were no use. And here you fall floppy to the floor like a discarded <laughs> avocado skin. Whenever we do these things with George, he just rocks up with a fucking bomb of intelligence on us. I think, I think he was right first time. Uh, I hope that, yeah, we, we have been in a postmodern death of the author mode. And perhaps now we can finally move to the death of the auteur. And on today, the day that Quentin Tarantino's new film is uh, being released. In America only, girl. What if this podcast goes out? You could just go go Whoa. see all of the um, you know films that he based it on. I mean, you could try that. I'm sure that would be a fulfilling experience for everyone involved. I would like to talk about my uh, sort of. I would like to talk about Don DeLillo and his, <laughs> uh, his experience in the Bronx. Um, we could... <laughs> well, I, I think and it really interesting. Don DeLillo, huh? I've got an autobiographical yeah. point about Don DeLillo. Is that? Uh, Actually, uh, he lived in Vancouver. I said at the start, at the top of the podcast, that I was hoping that this would be a nice, cheerful, cuddly experience, because I know that's what Andrew kind of wants the world to feel. But it wasn't. It was nightmarish. It was. (laughs) It really was. And it was. And I'm sitting in this Palladian housing estate where Andrew lives. It's like high rise here where some of the film was shot. And I have to walk through and I'm going to get stuck in a loop walking down the stairs. I That's dare cool. you to walk downstairs without getting drunk. The film was very avant, was surprisingly avant-garde. It was deeply surreal. I guess this actually allows you to, it gives you a lot of leeway with actually the structure and sense the film is. Um, but it reminded me of, it had nods to Bunuel and Dali, and it reminded me of Meshes of the Afternoon, Mayor Darren's film, and really reminded me quite a lot of Inland Empire, which is Lynch's most narratively fragmented film. Yes, Andrew, is that a fair assessment? Um, uh, yes. So um, the, the the black and white sequence that was originally a comedy skit, right? Where like um, the the senior editor would talk to the younger editor and like complain of like you know the editing's all wrong, uh, you're breaking the 180 rule, and then suddenly the younger editor would would um, be facing the wrong way as if the editing has broken the 180 rule. But it's, and then there's a reveal that says, no, I haven't broken the 180 rule. I'm just sitting right next to you. And then and that's the, the meta joke. And I thought it was really quite good. And uh, Shay, who was the person who directed that, uh, didn't think it was good. Um, but it was like, no, this is actually right. I like this. You should do this. This is this is definitely a sequence. You just like you do it in black and white and make every, and like take out all the dialogue and make it really slow. And then it'll look like Inland Empire. It'll be really weird. No one will know what it means. Um, God damn, he's right. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. I've I've watched Inland Empire once. I find it um, found it too obscurantist for me. Uh, I don't. I don't get it. And yet you've made this film. Yes. Yeah. I see. didn't make that bit. That that was me being a producer going make it all weird and don't and and like and have the actors act all weird and stuff and then it will be like David Lynch, right? And I gave him yep. a big thumbs up. And then went and watched the Marvel movie. 
the candy cane candy canes candy cane candy canes sing a version of locomotion yes called uh, the necromotion which uh, locomotion is sung in uh, inland empire whoa who was everybody's favorite character hmm oh i know mine i mean me too <laughs> me too is everyone's so favorite character favorite. andrew yeah heartthrob <laughs> extraordinaire um you've heard, oh jesus christ Professor Nozu was my favorite <laughs> favorite thing in this class, mainly because of his no no nonsense attitude towards teaching film and teaching towards the abolishment of canon. And I think that's something that's so incredibly important in teaching film to today's youth. Uh, Andrew, what was your character's name, Professor Nozu? Yeah, I think he's. We're going to just call him. Professor Nozu. Um, someone decided he was going to be called Professor Lockheed. Professor oh. Lockheed or Nozu, we're introduced. He's um, in a flashback. He's lecturing. Um, one of the main, other main characters is one of his students. And he's standing in front of a whiteboard, presumably at the end of his lesson. And the results of his lesson have been written on the whiteboard. And the words on the whiteboard, Nozu, castle is greater than Cassavetes. Theonomax? Uh... Theonomy. Theonomy? What is theonomy? Uh, it's it's a mixing of a couple of different words. And diegesis. That's a really good word if you want to get an A in a film class. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what you're trying to achieve? Uh, also, the, the title of the, the lecture was called um, Can Art Survive Being Seen? No zoo. Oh, my God. No zoo, sir. Way. Do we feel that by suggesting that the kind of trash trash to William Castle is greater than Cassavetes, that uh, Professor Nozu was actually, whilst bringing down one cannon, was just building up another cannon. Could, could be. And, um, how, and how can somebody who thinks being seen is important think that Cassavetes is somehow worse than somebody who is quite seen? How can someone who just made a film based on so much collaborative improvisation be so rejecting of Cassavetes? You guys have fucking lost me. Like, I'm so lost. I'm so lost. Okay, I'm bringing you back. Uh, The reason why I wrote Castle is better than Cassavetes is because Castle and Cassavetes start with the same three letters. Excellent. Deal with that. I'm jealous. I have really bad handwriting and I'm really scared of writing on the whiteboard. Professor knows it. He's all over that board. <laughs> Diegesis. Um, so, so can I come up with an argument that states that uh, Castle is uh, it, is better than Cassavetes? I think it, I think it would have to be well, like like people influences, like uh, professors have to push against the against the establishment in order to create any movement at all and to free their uh, the young students' minds. Um, from just accepting the, the, the sort of mono values of like this is good, this is bad. Um, wouldn't it be better to, to do away with the uh, the idea of one single chart from bad to good? And there could be many different uh, charts. And, and if you can get your students thinking that there could be many different truths, then truly they will start thinking for themselves. I mean, I just agree with that, and I blame Andrew Saras for a lot of shit in this modern life, Brexit. Yes, who's he? Uh, he's the blaming Andrew Sarris for Brexit. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was a kind of proponent of the auteur theory in the States, mm. and he came up with a big list of 
um, the best auteurs, kind of all right uh, auteurs, the, uh, the just kind of kind of job in directors, and then the kind of crap guys, basically. Yes, um, it's kind of the worst thing you can do with film these days. I feel. I think um, Satan. When we look upon the true face of Satan, it will, it will be a ten-point list. Basically, you know, BuzzFeed is the the, the portal to hell. You know, you, you give a numbered list. Basically. What would what would be on uh, what would be on BuzzFeed's list of Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to going to go to hell? What are the ten questions ten that BuzzFeed things. is going to ask you <laughs> before deciding this? It would be hates him. Yeah, it'd be like number one. What with those bangs? Ha! That would be <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you for Americanizing bangs for me, Andrew. Gun gun. I it, literally like three months ago, I learned that bangs were fringes. Isn't it so weird? Yeah, I know, right? Don't we just sort of live an ostentatious um, and out there life? No, or we can just sort of let our language fly like freedom and eagles, um, uh -huh. as opposed to what I assume are fish and I don't know what your flag represents. Some sort of uh, there's a dragon Sorry. for Wales and an so, X for Scotland. That's good. That's so, nice. You so, have so, so, Zoe. There's someone called Jack. Yes. Um, Zoe. Um, yes. What, what do you think is the best word to describe the parts at the edge of your hair? Would it be a fringe or a bang? Fringe. I, I, you know what? I find myself agreeing with you. I this. thought you were going to ask me a question about the sound. See? The trap of the patriarch. That's <laughs> is asking a woman about her hair. Oh, when we God. both know that both of our hair I... are longer than hers. Andrew, yes. do I have bangs? Um, no, you've got a kiss curl. Oh, oh. no, it's bangs. No, that, no, that's the, still, you're still side parted. Was the moment when that guy was talking to the camera? Was that a nod to Alfie? Sure it was. Yes. <laughs> Look, like, I, I had people that. <laughs> so yeah, there, there is um, uh, many more times than one that in the film I have a character turn directly to camera and talk straight to the audience. Uh, and that's because I had 200 pounds to make the entire film. And like, I, you know, I can't do an action scene. I can't have anyone even punch anyone because I only had one person in the scene. The most impact you can do is like basically break a fourth wall. That's the only, that's, that's the closest I can get to um, special effects. So yes, I have characters look directly in the camera um and what is more interesting to the human but another human talking i think that people are more interested than actually in themselves talking so maybe the cinema of the future could have the audience talking to the film mm. that technology will catch up <laughs> some sort of vr cinema experience wherein uh, professor nozu greets you at the credit sequence of this film and says hello player one or ready to imbibe the film stills and become a psychedelic film explorer from the future. Professor and then knows. you have to hit yes or no and then just sort of yes go no, upstairs it, for 90 it'll, minutes? It'll be more, it'll be more, it'll be more um, uh, advanced than that. Professor Nozu will be writing on the whiteboard a thing about, uh, I don't know, Val Luton is better than... Um, God, there's no film directors that begin with L. Uh, <laughs> Luton, better than... Anyway, that, I, I digress. So he's writing on the whiteboard, and he turns around and, and he and he says, "Oh, hello! I hadn't noticed you'd come in." And, and then he says, "Have you got any thoughts on this?" And the VR whatever just allows you to talk to him, and he just kind of attically responds, going, "Hmm, interesting. Yes, very good, very good. You're very interesting. I'm interested in what you're saying. I'm listening to you." 
people are interested in what you have to say. And then, you know, you probably feel better because you don't feel like you're just shouting into the void anymore. I think that a future where all humans are completely alone, but talking to a VR character that is telling them they're very, very nice is probably uh, the closest to utopia that we can possibly expect. It's like a, a Black Mirror sort of situation. No, Black Mirror has just become synonymous with anything to do with technology. I, I was, I think I was presenting it as a good thing. Mm, me too. There, there was an episode oh. in the first series, I remember, which involved people being alone in rooms and sort of plugging into this VR universe, which sounds very similar to what you're describing. Did it have Andrew? But I remember, no. I have to, I have to admit, if, if I did have a, a VR fantasy for the rest of my life, it probably wouldn't be of me as a professor teaching a film film course. No. Understandable. I'd choose, I'd choose something else. I would too. Um, that, that is very understandable. I mean, technically, Apocalypse of the Blood Freak is a horror movie, nominally. Were there any bits that were scary? Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, you heard my reactions to um, when he was looking into the mirror. Yes. But that's something that, like, genuinely, looking into a mirror for too long, I actually mm. can't deal with it. Just seeing my own reflection for that long, I can't. That tapped into a really real fear of mine. Wow. God, if I had to look into your face for too long, I would also be afraid. Oh, these are so bitter. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah. So uh, you know, if I we're mean, gonna if we're gonna put liner notes out there for anyone seeing this in the theater, step one, get a divorce. Step <laughs> two, Negronis. Yeah. Mucho Negronis. And okay. Apocalypse of the Blood Freak will be the best film you've ever seen. I mean, yeah. I just it's just because obviously I'm far too close to it, and I all I can see is just fact that there was no budget to um you know have have an exciting exploding head or have something real so it was always just cheap tricks and just sort of nothing much actually happening so i am super interested in responses to that um i always had like because i knew it was very low budget i had like an expectation going into it that i wasn't because i i find gore actually very very disturbing i know it's supposed to be but maybe i'm less like desensitized than you guys are to it like yeah. i just i can't so because i wasn't expecting to see gore i wasn't expecting to be afraid if you know what i mean yep absolutely yeah um yeah i do think that horror fans it's kind of comforting to them yeah, sure. I can see that. Afraid, I can like, understand that. The gore that. stuff is, is is comforting. It's um. I was in I was in a, I was in the Prince Charles Theatre actually. And we were watching Green Room, uh, and then there's a really gory bit in that. And basically, mm. you had a, a room full of. Um, I was on a stag do with. Um, <laughs> oh boy. With no, with, with a, a a group of um alternative culture people. Let's say of multiple genders. Goddamn hippies. Mm -hmm. Just, just, yeah, um, d differently programmed people from the norm. And it was mostly, the, 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 the cinema was mostly filled with, like, I don't know, middle-aged men who were into punk rock. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And it was sort of like, you know, uh, the, the, the gory, painful thing happens, which basically involves massive damage to a hand. And all, all the men were going, oh, oh, no, oh. Uh, and my group, um, genuinely, not ironically, just went, um, <laughs> but um, I mean, I wasn't that high pitched. I do apologize. I'm drunk, but um, like horror fans just have a very different reaction to um, that's the, the yeah. Those are the money I mean, shots. The, we absolutely love 
gore for one and and never apologize for loving gore no sure uh, two never let me qualify my, my reaction i i had until you started really talking assumed that you had gone to a stag do where you watched green book for some reason <laughs> and um <laughs> and i thought it was going to be some sort of anecdote about Oh, how sort of you know racism even in today's times are is very horrifying but i i definitely think you're onto something in regards to finding the tropes and the scares of horror very comforting and for me apocalypse was an extremely comforting film so much of the things that are being pumped out and pushed by Hollywood are dictated by jump scares. And very early on, you do have a, a, a jump scare. And it's not necessarily even very scary in there. You know, the, the other film that comes to mind with a very early on jump scare is uh, It Follows has won oh, yeah. quite very early on. But as apocalypse goes on it becomes not only more comforting and i sort of hesitate to use the word comforting because i'm very drunk he because the rules that you uh, created are so fucking good but i i i felt a kinship with the film as it went along that existed sort of outside our ship and outside of the bounds of us sort of talking about what you were going to do with this film, because I I know I didn't expect what eventually became Apocalypse, but the, the sort of horror narrative of it and the scares and the fear of it was something so new because it was an amalgamation of fear and you your ability to sort of put aside ego and put aside a major direction allowed this, what I guess is in effect an anthology film to become a cohesive singular narrative. That was something that, that in the end became something so familiar enough to continue to be chilling, I guess maybe would be a very, would be a word that, that other fans of horror would would sort of identify with more so than than actually being scary because it isn't going to keep me up but it's going to keep me excited mm. and i don't know i don't know what uh what words exist for that i can imagine having a, a weird dream tonight about being stuck in a loop <laughs> which might quite a bit of anxiety i mean there's yeah i mean i i don't know um, I mean, because the, the the actual structure of the movie is like, um, uh, you know, the old Monkey Island games, the LucasArts point-and-click adventures? I have no idea what you're talking about now. Okay, you like Mass Effect and Bioware computer games. Okay, yeah. So you remember, you remember computer games, right? I was not cool enough to have gun-based computer games. Um... So the point is, these sort of adventure free sort of games, where you, you it wasn't just run down a corridor and shoot things, you sort of looked around a place 
and you did things and you solved puzzles and you solved the mystery. The point was it would usually introduce you to everything in a sort of nice linear, easy set of things. Mm-hmm. And then it would um, split up into like three or four different sections, usually three sections that you could approach. It's usually like one big city hub thing where there were three different um, adventures, like like clue strings, gameplay, like a linear set of things you need to solve. And there was three different paths and you could approach them in any uh, order you wanted to and you could skip between them. Yeah. Um, and then right at the end, everyone would like meet up after their adventures and go, oh, that was an interesting adventure. Now let's play baddie. Um, so the point is when you needed um, games, of pro- you know, a good source for that sort of structure because you need the freedom uh, for the different filmmakers to do whatever the hell they're going to do in the individual uh, sections but you've got that overarching structure um, so whatever they do you know they're going to end up in, in the right place so you know I stole the structure for um, 1980s point and click adventures there you go so I- uh, yeah yeah, I mean that 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 is such a brilliant idea for currently drunk me at least that <laughs> where where the history where not the history where the future of film could possibly go because we have these very staunch systems where free sort of risky film that exists ninety or two thousand different production companies need to put their logos in said film in order to spread apart risk. Wouldn't it be amazing if auteurs and artists and filmmakers were given sort of the same chance to spread out creative risks so they were able to, say, put in an asinine scene in which blah 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 happens or really chase their dreams and parody a parody of something or Mm. do x y and z i'm gonna use z here because oh that's nice you know you outnumber me and i think there is something very very neat about the idea of spreading out this sort of artistic risk in the multi-hyphenate director system that you've created in this film while maintaining a cohesiveness where it can sort of be watched all the way through and only sort of interrupted at the very beginning which is what so many you know films do these days where you know we're we're all getting just a barrage of production company logo and we're seeing, you know, X, Y, and Z produce this because none of us thought this would be any good. What I would ask you, Jordan, is whether whether you think this is a worthy sequel to Blood Free. Oh my he- goodness. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it is... It's probably a bit better... <laughs> um, <laughs> It's probably a bit better than Blood Freak deserves. The only thing that I would say that is perhaps missing is an amazing... uh, I'll pronounce this in both uh, 
an English and an American accent to sort of help listeners. Uh, a paper mache and a papier mache. Uh, turkey head. I think. Yep. <laughs> I think this could use have, some paper slash papier mache. Yeah. And that's kind of that's sequence. Yeah, that's the only thing that that I really. I mean, I would have loved to have seen a lot more or not a lot more I would have liked to see one dumb thing that didn't look like anything I had ever seen before because it was so false and poorly made (laughs) by a a ninth grader (laughs) but also it it should have been a lot more religious if you wanted to make it a true you could have um, you could have I sort of, I don't know, jump you know, in here and pick say your religion. It's actually quite religious, I feel, uh, in an interpretation I've worked on. Um, I'm interested in this trope of cursed film. Mm-hmm. Something that when you see it, was madness, was death, was... It is at this some... point in the recording that the audio irrevocably breaks down. George would go on to explain in great detail ideas he has on the concepts of accursed text and cursed film imagery, stemming all the way back to the beginning of not only filmmaking itself, but of art and the inception of humankind's intelligence and ability to create. And while this is now lost forever, I think we can all rest assured that Dr. Crosswaite's novel on the subject will be forthcoming. Hopefully he will be kind enough to let me record a very intoxicated and very whispery recording of that book. But now back to some audio recorded on the day, back to drunken memories and times that we've all forgotten long ago. Yes, Jordan, I thought that was a very good point. <laughs> How very handsome you're being right now. Jordan, you're mean when you're divorced and drinking gin. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, yes, I apologize. Uh, this was, uh, this was a, I, I had a really good time. Um, <laughs> and this movie, Andrew, gets so much better on the second viewing even, so that's... That's something that I think is really important. That it's it's multi-viewing good more than anything, and that's that's anything any of us could hope for, and anything that we yep. create. Ten years. ten years, it'll be the only movie left. Well, yeah, I mean, right now it, there there are barely many other films other than it, so I think I think it's doing really well. And on that incredibly intoxicated note thank you to all of my listeners and all of my guests all of whom are now incredibly drunk and incredibly hyped about this film which is going to show at the genomus sorry yes (laughs) guys guys god damn it which is going to show at the genesis cinema in london on tuesday 30 september at 6 30 p.m Apocalypse of the Blood Freak coming at you soon. So please, if you're anywhere near London, if you're not, get a train, get a plane, 
Go okay. fucking see this film. Get fucking drunk for it. Sit there in the crowd. Get rowdy. Pay money to see some truly independent cinema. Truly. Raise 200 pounds for this man. Get him at least beer money afterwards. If we can raise 300 pounds, it's going to mean a lot to everyone involved. And at least make appearing on this podcast and supplying snacks for the very voracious Dr. Crossweight. I think we can all really rest a lot more easily this evening. And on that very appropriate note, never walk up or down stairs for the rest of your life. Certainly never eat film. (laughs) Good. And I hope that uh, your eyes stay in your head.